In a world where a sitting president's justice department attempts to take out their chief political rival by throwing him in jail? In a world where the economy is in virtual freefall with China buying up everything in sight? The eternal question still remains as we look to our future and the elected officials who will make it happen. Are you better off now than you were four years ago? We're TNN, the Truth News Network, and we know the answer. And to spell it out, here's Dan Newman. And you know what? We don't have to define that for anybody. I don't believe there's one single person in the United States that can credibly maintain they're better off today than they were four years ago. I can speak for myself. I'm not. We struggle in places we've never struggled in the last 10, 20, 30, maybe even 40 years under the different policies that this administration has foisted on the American people. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new week. Thank you for joining us here at TNN Live. It's Monday. Wherever you live in the United States, in almost every port, it's raining, and it's dreary, and it's cold. We'll just snuggle up, listen to the show today, share with us, and get warm and fuzzy all over. We're going to have a big time today. Much to get into. I can think of younger days When living for my life Was everything a man could want to do I could never see tomorrow I was never told about the sorrow Can you stop the rain from falling down? How can you stop the sun from shining? What makes the world go round? How can you mend this broken land? How can a loser? Ever win Please help me mend My broken heart And let me live again I can still feel the breeze That rustles through the trees and misty memories of days gone by We could never see tomorrow No one said a word about the sorrow How can you Can you stop the rain from falling down? How can you stop the sun from shining? What makes the world go round? And how can you make 
Oh my gosh, who picked that song to start the show? That's kind of dreary. <laughs> well, I don't know where you're living, but right now where I'm living, it is cold, it is wet, and we're facing coming days. We're going to get a little glimpse of winter, which we don't have much of in Louisiana, especially North Louisiana. Looks like we're going to get some of that stuff. We'll keep our eyes peeled there, but we need you today to buckle down. Get in your chair wherever you listen to this show, as you can. I get it. Many of you are working. You're out driving, getting your Mondays going, and you maybe have the earbuds in the ears. So it's going to be hit or miss all day long. I, I get that. But a reminder again, if you miss any of the show, every part of every show that we do has important elements, and we don't want you to miss any of it. So you can grab TNN Live, the podcast, after we sign off at 11 a.m. Central Time. Minutes later, you can look at any place where you go to get podcasts that host it. And there are probably 35 or 40 of those that host TNN Live. Go grab it. It's not bad to download and keep because it's tough to get still and concentrate for two hours a day. That's 10 hours a week. That's a lot of commitment. And I know many of you do that. And I say thank you, thank you, thank you. But now with so many moving parts in our world, it's really good to make sure we don't miss anything that's important. So just keep that in the back of your mind. I love it for those of you that can listen to every show full length. But I understand. I get it. And I'm just grateful that you're part of the show. Before we get into all of the world stuff, have you noticed what's happened over the past weekend here in the U.S.? Every story, almost without exception, includes something about Mike Johnson. Congressman Mike Johnson, who's now the brand new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. And it's been hilarious for me to look at the different perspectives that people have. I mean, if you go look at uh, CNN and see what they have to say about Mike or MSNBC or even NBC News website or CBS or even ABC News and you read what they have about Mike Johnson, they're, of course, trying to tell the quote-unquote truth about this very powerful man. You're going to get a different perspective than if you go to places like... uh, truthnewsnet.org, or even Fox News, Breitbart News, Newsmax, Epoch, Epic Times, however you want to pronounce that first word of their name, conservative sites. And it's funny for me because I know the man personally. I know him very well, have known him for some time. You will hear him on this show. Now, I haven't even reached out to have a conversation with him. I sent him a text congratulatory text, but I know it's going to be tough for him to make time for us because he's a television guy now. So all of the networks, news networks, they're crying to get Mike Johnson. And I'm going to be completely honest, on television, on network, even cable news shows, there's a much greater reach. So he reaches more Americans with the words, and the wisdom that he has to share. So he will be coming back here. He has promised me. He has committed to this show and to me personally. So all that being said, 
I uh, I stumbled across a bunch of different stories this weekend about him, and I grabbed some of the stuff from several of them. And I thought I'd bring you some facts. Within hours after those House Republicans last week unanimously voted to elevate a little-known Louisiana congressman to the Speaker's chair, all those on the right and left rushed to fill the blank canvas with a man of their own making. He's already got his own nickname, Magamike. <laughs> Magamike. Critics and supporters alike have portrayed Speaker Mike Johnson as a protege of former President Donald Trump, who would likely implement a staunchy, staunchly conservative agenda. If you don't think that moving from Kevin McCarthy to MAGA Mike Johnson shows the ascendance of this movement and where the power of the Republican Party truly lies, then you're not paying attention. Now, I can't take credit for saying that. Representative Matt Gates of Florida said that. He, by the way, don't forget, Matt Gates is who ousted former Speaker Kevin McCarthy in early October. President Trump himself backed Mr. Johnson's bid for Speaker and celebrated his election, calling him MAGA Mike Johnson in a social media post on the 25th. This has been about one thing. That's Representative Pete Aguilar of California. He said this earlier about the Republicans' fumbling search for a Speaker candidate. This has been about who can appease Donald Trump. Now, I don't need to tell you, but Representative Pete Aguilar, the guy that said that, is a Democrat. Oh, by the way, he's a Democrat from California. (laughs) Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, he picked up the nickname in a speech on the Senate floor. If Speaker Johnson, he said, lives up to the label that Congressman Gates has given him, MAGA Mike, he will fail as the previous speakers have. So while these pronouncements from these very weighty and educated members of Congress, as they characterize Mr. Johnson's election as a win for the right flank of the Republican conference, other folks say the realities of leadership are going to drive the new speaker to take a more pragmatic approach with a view of getting things done. So I've been asked this weekend at church, several social functions, everybody that comes up and knows me and knows my relationship with Congressman Johnson, they ask me this, how conservative is he? That's a great question, honest. We all want to know, right? In his first major interview after he became speaker, he ticked a number of conservative boxes. So let's look at what he said regarding gun violence. He said this, it's not guns, it's not the weapons. At the end of the day, we have to protect the right of the citizens to protect themselves, and that's the Second Amendment. That's why our party stands so strongly for that. Johnson added, the country needs to strengthen its approach to treating mental illness. On President Joe Biden's record, Johnson said, I think it's been a failed presidency and all the problems here with caused by policy choices. And that's the problem I have with him. Mike Johnson is a pro-life, Bible-believing Christian. 
He opposes gender transition treatment for minors. Yet, those positions don't distinguish him as that much more conservative than the Republican conference as a whole. He is personally very conservative. But he's also made quite clear that he intends to lead the collective House Republican conference and that the moderates have felt very comfortable that they can work with him. That's from former Speaker Newt Gingrich. By the standards of traditional American politics, House Republicans are overwhelmingly conservative. I don't know if I agree with that, Newt. Oh, by the way, in a later speech, Newt had a couple of nasties to throw at Mike Johnson's way. Hmm, that's going to make me watch Newt for a while. The Heritage Foundation, which is a conservative think tank, they score the voting records of every member of Congress according to their adherence to conservative principles. The average House Republican score is 89%. Johnson's lifetime score is 90%. That's a very little bitty tiny difference. For comparison, Mike Lawler, who's a Republican from New York, He represents a moderate district in upstate New York. He scored only 84%. Tim Burchett, a Republican from Tennessee, who voted to oust Kevin McCarthy, scored 82%. The average House Democrat rated just 2%. There aren't very many conservatives in the Democrat Party, in other words. Swing district Republicans, they might have reason to be a little wary of a hard-line leader, spoke well of Mike Johnson when he was elected. He's an humble man, has earned my trust, and will listen to the voices of those I represent in upstate New York. That's Representative Mark Molinaro, who's a Republican, and he posted that on Twitter. Speaker Johnson is hardworking and smart. I'm confident that despite any differences we may have on policy He is fully capable of unifying our conference and leading the House forward. Although there are some that have uh, painted Johnson's election as a win for the so-called far right, it may actually prove to be a win-win for the more pragmatic elements of the conference. Any claims from the Chaos Eight who voted to oust McCarthy, that's what they've got the name of being, the Chaos Eight. Any claims from those folks that they got everything they wanted is pretty easily disproven by the fact that our least conservative members in the conference were comfortable with Mike Johnson as well. Hadn't thought about that. That's Representative Dusty Johnson, a Republican from South Dakota. The South Dakota congressman chairs the Main Street Caucus, which is a business-oriented group. Republicans sometimes labeled hardliners. Those are the folks who tend to be more insistent on their very own positions and less patient and less willing to accept compromises. They're also suspicious of the way the House usually operates. Other Republicans sometimes pejoratively tagged rhinos, Republican in name only, They generally take a more practical view of governing. I don't know if I can say that, honestly. Practical view of government? They're willing to settle for smaller victories, 
which they believe will add up over time. To those who are suspicious of the way Washington usually operates, Johnson is seen as a welcome change. The K Street lobbyist, this is not their candidate. This is the people's candidate. He's not the one they wanted, but he's the one that Americans need. That's Burchett again. Yet Republicans who are sometimes criticized as being part of the swamp supported the new speaker also. That includes former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who referred to him as a principled conservative who can get the job done. Mike is a strong leader who has the full support of our entire conference. That came from a mutual friend of ours, Majority Leader Steve Scalise from New Orleans. He said that in the statement. He's a great man, will make a great speaker. And in his acceptance speech, Johnson outlined his government philosophy, which spoke directly to compromise. Here's what he said. Our people are losing their faith in government. I think we have to be mindful of that, he said. We're going to fight vigorously over our core principles because they're at odds a lot of times now in this modern era. We must sacrifice sometimes our preferences because that's what's necessary in a legislative body. In any case, House speakers are almost always pragmatic decision makers. Speakers are not in the habit of putting bills on the floor that are going to fail, Dusty Johnson told the Epic Times. I think this allegation that there will be a number of votes on the floor that divide the Republican conference because they're too conservative isn't based on real history. Speaking of hardliners, those who take an all-or-nothing approach to governing, Newt said this, I think some of these guys don't understand the concept of being effective. Johnson's voting record seems to indicate that he gets it. Mike voted in favor of the Agriculture Appropriations Bill, which was defeated when 27 Republicans voted against it. He voted in favor of a stopgap funding bill that included spending cuts and increased border security, but was defeated by 21 Republicans. He voted for McCarthy 15 times in the January speaker's race and voted against his ouster in October. Start looking at the way he votes if you're seriously interested in knowing what he feels about politics here in America. You can watch any person's voting. It tells you a lot. Although Mike has strong convictions, and I personally know he really does, he seems to acknowledge the need to choose one's battles and occasionally compromise. Regarding a national abortion ban, he said on October 26th, there is, quote, no national consensus for the people on what to do with that issue on a federal level for certain. And then on the topic of same-sex marriage, Johnson said, I respect the rule of law and also genuinely love all people regardless of their lifestyle choices. Republican lawmakers have focused on more pressing issues right now, like the Israeli-Hamas war, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the fentanyl crisis in the U.S., and communist China's aggressive behavior. Given that Mike Johnson, the new speaker, has held a job for less than a week, his ability to hold the various elements of the Republican conference together hadn't yet been tested. 
First challenge, maybe his handling of the president's request for $105 billion in supplemental funding for Israel, Ukraine, allies in the Indo-Pacific region, and border security. Can he hold tough and force them to take an Israel bill first and then come back and do the other two? Newt Gingrich asked that question. These should be three different bills. Each should be subjected to a different standard. That's Newt, but that's also Mike Johnson. He's maintained that on this show. With government funding set to run out November 17th, completing the appropriations process, which we gotta do, will be another challenge to his leadership. Speaker said he intends to pass the remaining spending bills through the House and then negotiate with the Senate from a position of strength. However, he left open the possibility a second stopgap funding bill may be needed. The first such bill led to the ouster of McCarthy. I think some of the most colorful conservatives in our conference have indicated that they will provide Speaker Johnson quite a little bit more flexibility than was given to Speaker McCarthy. That's Dusty Johnson. Mike Johnson is going to have a real opportunity to bring this team together and get some conservative wins. At some point. I don't doubt it. I'm sure you don't either. Unity is going to be tested, maybe by the question of additional aid for Ukraine, which some House Republicans are skeptical of. And one of those, Mike Johnson. To get a Ukrainian aid bill through, they're going to have to have Democrat votes, Gingrich said. How does the right react to that point? Do they operate as a party or do they fragment again? I don't think we know yet. Let me just tell you this. I think that last point, Gingrich and I, we have differing opinions many, many times. Sometimes I'm 180 degrees away from him. But I think Newt pointed something out. We're going to learn really, really quickly if Mike Johnson is a unifier and is he going to be able to get the conservatives and uh, the middle of the road Republicans together on any of these very serious issues, I think you're going to find out. The guy is going to be pretty effective. If you've never heard him speak much, you need to be watching these huge number of interviews that he's doing because he's telling who he is. He's telling who he always has been. And he is not a typical Potomac Valley member of Congress. He's not. He bends, he molds, he listens, but he doesn't flinch on his specific feelings on things. And he's not afraid to come out and tell them. By the way, if you didn't hear that 41-minute interview that he did the other night, he did it on um, Sean Hannity's show, one-on-one, Hannity had been given permission by Mike Johnson to ask any question he wanted, so he threw them all out there. We posted that the next day. There's a story for it at truthnewsnet.org. It's worth taking a listen to. It's very important. This is one of the most powerful people in politics in the U.S. now already. You realize he is second 
in the line of secession if something happens to our president. First in that line is whoever the vice president is. That would be Kamala Harris, and the House Speaker is second. So, I'm sure these members of the House did not take lightly. That was in the back of their minds, and they, in unity, total unity, 217, voted for Mike Johnson as House Speaker. So we haven't talked about Israel yet. Oh, my gosh. It takes up all the air in the room. Is it surprising to you to watch how many people are taking sides just immediately? And many people are taking sides that don't have a clue. Listen, you look at what's happening on the streets of America and in big cities around the world. I mean, everywhere. Most of those people, not all, but most of those people are out there demonstrating, um, even rioting. We had two people seriously injured at a pro-Palestinian event at Tulane University down in South Louisiana. We're a pretty conservative state. But the people that are making the most noise are denigrating Israel. They're barking orders at Israel and Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. And I'm talking about those people that are protesting. I'm not talking about politicians. Everybody knows where the politicians on the national level, each of them stand here in the United States. We do. Joe Biden has always made a big deal out of his staunch support of Israel. But is it obvious only to me, how he has gone past just flinching, but he's making it very certain he is pulling back on his support for Israel, the Israeli people. Lawmakers, they're actually threatening the president. Progressive Rep. Pramila Jayapal from Washington. She's Palestinian. She has expressed that Americans are quite far away from the position taken by the Biden administration on the Israel-Hamas war. Now listen to her thoughts, how she gets there. She said Sunday that President Biden may risk losing Arab and Muslim votes due to his unwavering support for Israel in its ongoing war with Hamas terrorists. She's chair of the far-left Congressional Progressive Caucus, and she was on NBC News yesterday and said Biden needs to be, her word, careful about how he handles the Israel-Hamas conflict as it might hurt his re-election bid next year. I don't think those people in the Middle East, I don't think very many people here in the United States or even contemplating the facts, nor understand what actually happened on October 7th. When you get confronted, if you get confronted by someone and you get in a conversation about Israel and Hamas and what happened, you need to make the conversation be about one thing. What happened? on October 7th, and what's happened since. Do you honestly think 
that it's okay that on during the night, October 7th, no warning whatsoever, Hamas started all kinds of bombing and invading and just killing Israelis. 1,400. Had they been attacked? No. For political reasons, for anger, for hatred, they justified just willy-nilly going through a part of southern Israel and there in Gaza and slaughtering men, women, and children. And I won't even get into the gross stuff that was done. But there were, I don't even have, I can't even guess at a number of inhumane actions that were perpetrated by these people. Now you put Jayapal in what she's saying. Put that in the perspective of the whole. Quote, I have been one of President Biden's biggest supporters. I have been proud to be partner as he has been courageous and strong on the domestic front. I think that the president needs to be just as courageous on this issue so that we keep the unity within our country. Ms. Jayapal said she believes that Americans are quite far away from the position taken by the Biden administration on the war that has seen Israel bombarding Gaza in retaliation for Hamas's deadly attack on the 7th. She said this, they support the right for Israel to defend itself, to exist. But she didn't leave it right there. She added this, but they do not support a war crime exchange for another war crime. And I think the president needs to be careful about that. In other words, that's a veiled threat that says, if you don't listen to these Holocaust deniers, anti-Semites, if you don't listen to us, and I don't know how many of the us's are here, but let me point something out. If you have been looking at any of these pro-Palestinian demonstrations, and look at who's doing it, Do you know the ages? They're not skewed across the spectrum of age from one end to the other. They're not. Most of those people, if they are not Palestinians themselves, most of the other people are college age. Now, this is the United States of America. Do you think, well, I won't even ask it that way. What percentage of the people that live in the United States of America, what percentage of people is there that would look at, let's just say, if during one night, in the middle of the night, some foreign foe, uh, let's call it Mexico, they're attached, so okay, a bunch of cartel members slip into the southern border Maybe they, uh, in the middle of the night, they find ways to get in the middle of the nation or the West Coast, the East Coast, the Southeast, whatever. And with no provocation, no military action whatsoever, they just go through there and slaughter. Now, you put the population size of Israel compared to the United States, so Instead of 1,500 people that Hamas slaughtered that night of Israelis, 
1,500, it would be more like 100,000 Americans in one night. What she's saying is, oh, Israel should ignore those 1,400 that were killed. And don't even think about the way they were slaughtered, the beheading of babies, the rapes, shooting people in the head, dragging them out on the street, raping them in front of their fellow Israeli people, and then killing them. Don't even think about that. So what justification does she and others like her have to make those claims? It has nothing to do with what's right, nothing to do with what's wrong. It has to do with political perspective only. Who in this nation do you think would feel like if somebody came in here and slaughtered in one night between 50 and 100,000 people, Americans, unprovoked, just did it because? How many of you think that we shouldn't retaliate? I mean, there are people laughing at me right now for even saying that. And that's the way I feel. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous calling what Israel is doing war crimes. Where in any war crime manual or pamphlet or whatever spells out that if you are invaded, you don't have the right to reciprocate because you're such a nice country and you believe in so many nice things, you just need to take it and grin and bear it. That's what Jayapal and others like her say. Enough about that. I don't believe there's anybody here that thinks that quid pro quo Joe believes that, but he is showing his true colors. The love of money is the root of all evil. Joe's backing down. He's getting soft. He doesn't want Israel to retaliate in like manner. Oh no, you can't do that. You got to back down. He's doing it because he's scared to death and he learned it. He learned it really well. You remember his boss, Barack Obama? Do you remember when Syria was gassing and killing their own people? Do you remember that? That was confronted by Joe's former boss, President Barack Obama. And just in case you forgot, keep in mind, Basra Assad was slaughtering thousands of Syrian civilians. They didn't do anything wrong. He just wanted them gone. And so, of course, the international community stood up and started speaking. And Barack Obama, because he was president of the United States, he had to get out there and make it very clear to Assad how much trouble he was going to be in if he did any more of gassing his own people. Well, here, listen. I have, uh, at this point, not ordered military uh, engagement in the situation, but the point that you made about uh, chemical and biological weapons is critical. Uh, That's an issue that doesn't just concern Syria, it concerns our close allies in the region, including Israel. Uh, It concerns us. 
we cannot have a situation where chemical or biological weapons are falling into the hands of the wrong people. Uh, we have been very clear to the Assad regime, but also to other players on the ground that a red line for us is we start seeing a whole bunch of chemical weapons moving around or being utilized. Uh, that would change my calculus. That would change my equation. It's somehow under its it, state. It, 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 in a situation this, uh, uh, this volatile, uh, I wouldn't say that I am absolutely confident. What I'm saying is we're monitoring that situation very carefully. We have put together a range of contingency plans. Uh, we have communicated in no uncertain terms with every player in the region that that's a red line for us and that there would be enormous consequences if we start seeing movement on the chemical weapons front uh, or the use of chemical weapons. That would, uh, that would change my calculations uh, significantly. There's the red line speech that Barack Obama came in. Of course, we all know what happened. Basra Assad heard it, and he just he just fell apart. He was so afraid, right? No. He went out and did it again. And what did Barack Obama do? Nada. So, if you remember how close Barack and Joe were, anytime, anywhere, if Barack Obama passed when, Joe would say, excuse me. He was right there, side by side, in everything that Barack Obama did. So he learned how to threaten people that would attack. And he did just that, these people that attacked Israel. Mr. President, I want to ask about the conflict, the war in the Middle East. 24 U.S. troops have been injured during 10 drone or rocket attacks on bases in Iraq and three in Syria over the past week. You've told Iran to, quote, be careful as your administration tries to prevent the Israeli-Hamas war from expanding into a larger Middle East conflict. But should Americans be worried that the war already is escalating? And after you answer that question, I'd like one more follow-up, please. One or two more, huh? Joey, look, uh, we have had troops in the region since 9-11 to go after ISIS and prevent its reemergence re re in, in both, anyway, in the region, having nothing to do with Israel at all. My warning to the Ayatollah was that if they continue to move against those troops, we will respond, and he should be prepared. It has nothing to do with Israel. Oh, here we go. Yeah, your conversations with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, who obviously you've known uh, for decades, and you had a very emotional trip there last week to Israel. Have you sought assurances from him that he will hold off on a ground invasion into Gaza until the safe relief release of the hostages can be assured? And of course, those include uh, 10 unaccounted for Americans. No. What I have indicated to him is that if that's possible to get these folks out safely, that's what he should do. It's their decision. But I did not demand it. I pointed out to him, if it's real, it should be done. Thank you. If it's real, it should be done. Both of them. Both of them. 
they put out their warnings. How many times did you see the vice president over the weekend, Joe Biden? If you were thinking about retaliating, if you're thinking about this, and he's talking to the leader of Iran, if you're thinking about it, I have a message for you. Don't. 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 And in that little follow-up statement there, he was talking about Iran, through its proxies, throwing bombs and stuff and rockets into Syria and at, directed at, American troops that are in bases over there. And so you just heard him. He told him, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Well, guess what? Just like Basra Assad and Barack Obama, they attacked again, us, in Syria. <laughs> Just like Assad attacked again when Obama said, don't cross my red line. This is the only thing about this, other than the obvious humanity, inhumanity of the actions by Hamas against the Israeli people. This is the only thing that troubles me because Barack Obama and Joe Biden both have given the red line in the sand speech and their opponents have stepped across it, thumbing their noses at Washington, D.C. What do you think is next? You need brake pads? We have brake pads. Like dependable brake pads, quieter brake pads, longer life brake pads, and performance brake pads. At AutoZone, we have all the brake pads you need so you can get the job done right. Get in the zone, AutoZone. If you want a smart truck, you want an F-150 with available pro-trailer backup assist. If you want a strong truck, you want an F-150 with a high-strength military-grade aluminum alloy body. If you want a capable truck, you want an F-150 with up to 13,200 pounds of available towing. So to recap, you want the smart, the strong, the capable Ford F-150. Society says we should only have tacos with the gang on Tuesday, but Taco Bell doesn't play by the rules. Step away from the tacos! With Taco Bell party packs, gangs are having tacos any day of the week, even Sunday. So whether your gang is soft, crunchy, or straight up locos, it's time to come together and fight for tacos any night. It's taco anarchy. Can you feel it? Are they dance fighting? Rebel Against Tuesday Tradition with Taco Bell Party Packs. Pick it up or get it delivered for the whole crew. Well, you heard from Jayapal. There is a fairly new member of the squad. That would be Corey Bush, who's a member of the House of Representatives. She's from... St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, she had a message over the weekend herself 
On Sunday, she accused Israel of committing ethnic cleansing in its ongoing war against Hamas in Gaza. She claimed that millions of people with nowhere to go are being slaughtered in Gaza as Israel conducts its retaliatory campaign. We can't be silent about Israel's ethnic cleansing campaign, she said. Babies dead, pregnant women dead, elderly dead, generations of families dead, millions of people in Gaza with nowhere to go being slaughtered, she added. The U.S. must stop funding these atrocities against Palestinians. Her statement comes as the Israeli military is now, as they have been over the weekend, expanding its ground operations within Gaza, They're targeting rocket and anti-tank missile positions. The Hamas-run Gaza Health Ministry claims that more than 8,000 Palestinians have been killed since the conflict began on October 7th. That data is believed to be inflated, however, and President Biden's administration has said the health ministry is little more than a front for Hamas. Now, who is Cori Bush? She's among a very small but very vocal minority of Democrats who oppose Israel in the ongoing conflict. Who are the other critics? Representatives Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, have also faced extensive and repeated accusations of anti-Semitism. Tlaib was among the very first ones to condemn Israel for the now-discredited claim that Israel struck that hospital in Gaza with an airstrike that killed, at least reportedly, killed some 500 people. U.S. intelligence says the blast actually originated from a rocket fired by militants in Gaza that fell short. And to leave still, she has yet to delete her statement claiming Israel carried out the attack. Now, here's the conundrum, the big conundrum over there. People... Nations, factions are going to have military-level conflicts with people. That's going to continue to happen. It's been around since there have been groups of people on Earth at the very beginning. And it's going to continue just because people are being people. But what's different about this is people are taking sides because of who they identify with not because of facts. Rashida Tlaib, Omar, Cori Bush, they don't acknowledge that this was an attempt by Hamas to initiate an ethnic cleansing that Tlaib accused Israel of doing. Hamas hates Israelis. They think Israelis should be exterminated. They want to continue the Holocaust actions when 6 million Jews were slaughtered by the Nazis. You just can't, I don't care who you are, if you're a a, a realistic thinking person, you can in no way justify that happening. Now, the response, the retaliation, you can have your own opinions. I have mine. My point is, I understand Israel retaliating because for no reason other than anti-Semitism, that's the only justification that you can give 
as an explanation for why Hamas did what they did. They slaughtered 1,400 Jews in the middle of the night. No notification. They just went in there and hacked them to pieces, including beheading infants. They, a pregnant woman, they cut the baby out of her womb, killed the baby, then shot the mother in the head in front of her husband and the baby father. How can you justify doing that? You can't justify that. That is so inhumane. Now, let me tell you what else is inhumane. If you're wondering why the Palestinian people and Hamas are different, we, we keep hearing that. Oh, it's, you know, every Palestinian is not a Hamas person. If you're over there, how do you tell? If you had any cognizance of how war happened in World War II, in Korea, but then even more so in Vietnam, you never knew who the enemy was. They purposely disguised themselves, and they scared the natives, like in Vietnam, they scared them into being complicit and hiding them and acting like they're just normal people instead of, hey, these guys over here, these are Viet Cong. They're here trying to kill you. And if we let them know that we're letting you know, they're going to kill us too. Hamas will not let the Palestinian nationals even leave. Israel's been warning since a couple of days after the attacks began, telling those people in Gaza get to the south end of Gaza or get out of Gaza because we're coming in and we're going to end this forever once and all. We're going to obliterate. Actually, they didn't use that term. They said we're going to kill every member of Hamas so this will never happen again. Do I agree with that? I don't know. I've never stood and watched my baby being cut out of my wife's belly and the baby killed and my wife shot and killed. Circumstances having a a, a way to change the way we think, that's part of life. You cannot, you cannot unsee something. Let me just lob a bomb into the middle of this. You know what? would change it all. There's one thing that would change it all. If somebody, maybe in Tehran, they're the fathers of all this, they're the funders of all this horror that's going on over there, but if somebody would just stand up in leadership and say, look, enough is enough. We're going to stop this, this purge that we began. We're going to stop it. And we urge the Israeli people to do the same thing. Our people, their people, are suffering too hard. We need to stop this. And we need to come to the peace table and come up with a way to coexist. Maybe it will always be and never can be anything different than from we're just going to agree to disagree from now on, but we're not going to kill each other. How do you think that would change things? Oh, my gosh. It would change a lot of things because people are not going to trust you if you've been slaughtering them for generations. 
they're not going to trust you at first because the way Hamas works is if you're a Jew, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you came from. doesn't matter what you do in your job. doesn't matter how good you are or how evil you are. You must be murdered. You have no right to breathe the air as a Palestinian. Unless something like that happens, I think we're really, really close to that thing from Revelation. When you see these things begin to happen, look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. And what's that talking about? The beginning of the end. Talking about Jesus splitting the skies and starting the whole big ending, Armageddon, by taking Christians out of here. Do you think any of those Jews that don't believe Jesus was the Messiah, do you think they have hope? Yep, they have hope. You know how I know that? Jesus made it very clear. Somebody asked him, what about people that they've never heard a sermon preached? They don't know anything about Christianity. And he said, the grace of God will be made known to everybody. Somehow, they're going to get a chance. Don't know how that chance might be. But I don't see... I don't see a real good ending in here. I mean, there are possibilities, ways to do it, but I don't see these leaders over there signing in for any of this. I don't see it. It's been happening for so many years. I mean, decades, even centuries. This has been a hate game, and one wants to obliterate the other one, take them out of existence. And now because of this latest thing, Israel's are saying the same thing. We've had enough of this. We're going to exterminate members of Hamas. We will not rest until they're all dead. Not gone. All dead. Well, 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 we're not going to spend the whole show today talking about that. As a matter of fact, we've got some problems of our own that this war over there is bringing to focus that we need to talk about. We have that, and we have much, much more. It's Halloween. Halloween's tomorrow, officially. I've got some economic news about Halloween and a bunch of others. Sit tight. You do your thing, and you do it well. Now, it's time to do it bigger. It's time for Shopify. Shopify makes it easy to set up your online store, expand into new sales channels, and bring your brand into the real world. Get everything you need to launch your business today with Shopify. So you guys grew up together? Yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I w- I'm not looking at anything. We're not good I enough don't. for you. You look for something else? No, I, just, I don't know. What are you, That's big supermodels? Oh, yeah. Who's us? Supermodels? Right. What do you model? Gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Brad, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies.
Budweiser presents the world's first star in your own radio commercial. Okay, guys, whenever you hear this sound, insert your name. Hi there. Your name. Sorry I'm late. Sometimes there just aren't enough hours in the day to be a neurosurgeon and a swimwear model. Oh, am I thirsty. How about it? Your name. Got anything tall and cool? Oh, Budweiser long necks, though. Your name. You are so thoughtful. But of course, Bud's the first choice for every occasion. Ah, you know I have a confession to make. If I ever had a son, I'd want to name him. Your name. Oh. Your name. Come here. Now. Mm. Your name. Your name. Your name. Well, you did very well in your first commercial. Have a bud. You've earned it. This bud's for Your name. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. Violence, screaming obscenities, heated arguments, angry crowds. Roller derby? Nah. Election season. And your voice of calm is truthnewsnet.org. Now, we're going to circle back and we're going to talk about some ancillary things, not the war itself, but some outcrops, you know, those things that happen because of what's happening over there in Israel in a little bit. One thing that the World Bank has weighed in on, and the obvious thing, energy. What's going to happen to oil? World Bank put out three different scenarios for the global oil supply in the event of either a small, a medium, or a large disruption in our energy system. Effects should be limited, they say, if the conflict doesn't widen in a small disruption scenario. Oil prices then are expected to go down to an average of $81 a barrel next year. But if there is a medium disruption, that would be equivalent to the disruptions experiencing during the Iraq war. Global supply would decline by 3 million to 5 million barrels per day, driving oil prices up, possibly by as much as 35%. And in the big, big one, in a large disruption scenario, comparable to the Arab oil embargo of 1973, the global Oil supply would shrink by 6 million to 8 million barrels a day. Prices could go up by 56 to 75%. Now put that in dollars, Dan. 140 to $157 a barrel. Now what does that mean at the, at the pump? 140 to $157 a barrel. just put it this way. When Donald Trump was president, price of oil dropped below $50 a barrel. $50 a barrel. So $140 to $157 a barrel, four times what we're paying now. I'm not prognosticating anything. But what I'm doing is saying, you know what? There are a lot of moving parts in this thing. We need to get it resolved. Let's get it resolved and get all this chaos to at least slow down a little bit. Let us have some peace. Just think about if we don't feel peace over here because we're caught up. uh, The American people are caught up in every 
kind of thing like this that happens. But when you have so many people that are making up so moving, so many moving parts, it just gets worse and worse. That's the peace I'm talking about. We're not going to have true peace, I don't think, anytime soon. But at least maybe we can calm things down where we don't sweat and stay nervous the whole time. It can't be good for your health. It's got to be bad. So as I said, we were getting into the the holiday season, if you call Halloween a holiday. Officially, it's tomorrow. But it started early. Nearly 80 people were shot, at least 11 are dead, in Halloween-related shootings across the nation. 12 mass shooting incidents over the weekend. Think about that. At least 11 people dead, 76 injured across the nation. Just up the road from me, Texarkana, a fistfight at a Halloween party Saturday escalated into a big shooting. Two men pulled out rifles and started exchanging fire, leaving three dead, three others injured. Authorities identified 20-year-old Brioski Warren as a suspect. In Indianapolis, chaos erupted at a large gathering. It resulted in one woman's death, various injuries to eight other individuals between 16 and 22 years of age. That was on Sunday. Tampa had a big one. Halloween weekend shooting, a dispute occurring in the early hours in Ybor City's Halloween festivities culminated with a total of 20 people shot, two of whom, age 14 and 22, died. And in this fight between two groups, we had hundreds of innocent people involved that were in the way. Florida police arrested a 22-year-old, charging him with second-degree murder with a firearm following the incident, NBC News said. Another incident in Chicago, up on North Lawndale neighborhood, turned violent when a shooter opened fire, injured 15 attendees, two victims, one 26-year-old woman, a 48-year-old man, are currently still in critical condition. The offender fled on foot, was placed into custody by responding officers a short distance away. Handgun was recovered on his person, the offender was transported to the area for questioning by detectives. Georgia State University's campus in Atlanta, another one, resulted in four people being injured, one of those reportedly in serious condition. The Halloween weekend has historically been marred by violence. Back in 2022, there were nine mass shootings nationwide during that period, resulting in 10 deaths and 46 injuries. Just remember this, it's not about the guns, it's about people. So there's another thing, you probably, if you're getting red, most people, they had their Halloween trick-or-treat things, costumes and all that over the weekend. But remember, Halloween's tomorrow night. If you haven't gone and buckled down to buy a bunch of candy, Get ready. You may want to take a debit card or a check. Consumers are dealing with double-digit Halloween candy inflation for the second year in a row. Prices being an average of 13% higher this month compared to last October. Retail price tracker, Data Assembly's latest grocery price index, 
based on data collected from over 150,000 stores. That represents 200-plus retail banners revealed the spooky numbers on October 11th. This index shared that sweet treats inflation over-indexes the entire grocery category at 6.7% for the same time period. According to this tracking entity, higher inflation drove a national increase of 20% last year across the candy and gum category. So an additional 12.8% increase from October 22 through October 7th of 23 makes for more of a trick than a treat for consumers. Now remember, this, this number is on top of an already 13.1% increase in candy and gum prices in October last year. It was the highest increase ever recorded, and here we go. Up, 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 up again. The price of candy has gotten to be outrageous. That's from Jessica Weathers, an Illinois small business owner. It doesn't make sense to me to spend $100 on candy to put in a jack-o'-lantern on my front porch for trick-or-treaters. Weathers said she usually buys a hefty load of candy for trick-or-treaters as well as for school and church events around this time of year, but was only able to purchase two bags this time around. So in our neighborhood, we live in a neighborhood, it's a, a planned development, and I know we live here, Marianne and I are 70 years old, we're not young, but a massive majority of the families that live in this subdivision are young people, parents in their 30s. And when we have Halloween here each year, they uh, block the entrances to the subdivision to keep it within. Now, we have two Halloweens. I'll, I'll tell you about the second one in a minute. But early in the Halloween season, the first one, they block the entrance and exits to the subdivision just basically so the kids that live in this subdivision with their parents can go door-to-door doing trick-or-treating. And it's, it's really cool because everybody dresses up. I'm not just saying the kids. Moms and dads, everybody wears a content, uh, uh, a uh, costume. And so Marianne and I sat on the front porch. We laughed. We saw so many cute little kids. It's just a great time of year. They don't really know what Halloween means. They know it's a time to go door to door and get candy. And then uh, tomorrow night, they'll open up the whole subdivision to the whole town. So we'll get kids from all over town that'll be coming here. But think about all the candy that you've bought in the past. I'm cognizant of that because I'm the one that somehow, for some reason, I get to buy the the candy every year. This year, Marianne did it, and I saw the prices that she paid, and it was staggering. We just don't think about stuff like that. And this hope, fake hope, that we're being told almost daily by people in this administration, especially Janet Yellen, our Secretary of the Treasury, oh, inflation's transitory. It's going to come down. It may come down slowly, but it's going to come down. Yeah, right. It keeps going up. Well, everything's good. Bidenomics is fixing everything. Bidenomics is tearing our economy 
apart. Joe Biden's not paying it. Oh, no. Very few people in Washington, D.C. are paying the inflation cost that are out there across our whole spectrum of the economy. The American people are paying for that. And this president is still in denial about that. I just can't imagine how anybody can try to reconcile that. Let's switch gears again. On another note, this is a military thing, but it has nothing to do with, well, let's hope it doesn't, with uh, Hamas or Israel. The Pentagon over the weekend announces a new nuclear bomb. Well, Dan, we've, we've got thousands of nuclear bombs around the world. That's no big deal. This one is 24 times more powerful than either one of the two that were dropped on Japan in World War II. Department of Defense announced its pursuit of a nuclear bomb that will be 24 times more powerful than one of those dropped on Japan. The Pentagon is seeking congressional approval and funding to pursue a modern variant of the B-61 nuclear gravity bomb which is going to be designated the B-6113. Today's announcement is reflective of a changing security environment and growing threats from potential adversaries. That's from the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Space Policy, John Plum. The U.S. has a responsibility to continue to assess and field the capabilities we need to credibly deter and, if necessary, respond to a strategic attack and assure our allies. So they issued a fact sheet. The fact sheet included with the release said the B-6113 will have a similar yield to the B-6117, which according to a Defense News report, has a maximum yield of 360 kilotons. Now put that in comparison, that load is 24 times larger than Hiroshima, Japan's bomb, to end World War II, which was about 15 kilotons. The B-6113 would also be about 14 times larger than the bomb dropped on Nagasaki, which was 25 kilotons. According to the fact sheet, the powerful new bomb will also include the modern safety, security, and accuracy figures on the B-6112. So why do you think this has just popped out over the weekend? Think it was accidental? This news, this administration is sending messages to several world leaders, people like Vladimir Putin, Xi Jinping, the Ayatollah in Iran. I will bet you this much. If they're saying we have it, giving us all this information, I bet we already have it. Otherwise, why would they bring it up? In an ordinary peacetime, we would develop it if we thought we needed it, but we wouldn't talk about it. If you talk about it, that means you're trying to let somebody know, hey, 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 mine's bigger than yours. Sometimes, honestly, 
sometimes when this kind of stuff is talked about, this is the reason I wanted to bring this up, it makes me think that maybe our leaders are getting scared. They're watching these military buildups in places like China and obviously in Iran. Russia's struggling, but they're in cahoots with North Korea and China, who is funding them to buy weapons and missiles, etc. What are we doing? We're giving ours away. Oh, Joe Biden makes it very clear. All of the weapons that we've sent to Ukraine, all of them, they're coming from ours already. We have it all already. It's in stockpile. So we've got plenty left over. Do you believe that? Oh, my God. There is no way I believe that. It's just like he does with the oil. Our strategic oil reserves, he's sold it all. Not all, but almost all of it, just like he and Barack did when they were president and vice president. They did the same thing, left them basically empty. Donald Trump, when the price of oil got down to $45 a barrel, he went to Congress and got approval. They just loaded the strategic oil reserves back up. Now, Joe has sold them, much of it, to China, of all places. (laughs) And so... We're out of gas, literally. What are we going to do if we get attacked? Can you imagine how much energy usage is going to go up if we get into a full-fledged war? Think about the depletion of ammunition. We're told now we're struggling. When Donald Trump became president, the first thing he did was an examination of the readiness of our military and those generals and admirals, they told him, we don't have any ammunition. And one of the first things they did was get the ammunition that we possibly would need in case of a major conflict. And then Joe Biden gets elected and he gives all that away. Not trying to scare you. I'm trying to get you to realize sometimes Things are not as they seem to be. Sometimes, on the other hand, things are exactly as bad as they seem to be, and that's in spite of being told otherwise. Not many people I know are confident about the things that they hear coming out of this White House. So let me ask you a question. Let's just go back to the Middle East war there, and not the war itself, but about some of the people in it. We hear all the time about the IDF, Israeli Defense Forces, Special Forces. We don't know anything about them. We know a little bit, but not a lot. But do you like me? Do you ever wonder how good they must be? We watch all the spy movies. I watched the old MI3 movie last night. Marianne and I did. I love all the Mission Impossible movies. Four's out now. Hadn't seen it yet. But I like all that stuff. And I wonder how much of it is real. How good are the real people that are intelligence, all the departments out there, and how good are they? We've always been told Israel's got one of the most sophisticated militaries on the planet, that they're stocked, they're well-trained. Everybody, every young person, when they get out of high school, are required to go in the military in Israel. 
And then when you finish your commitment full-time to the military and you go back into the private sector, you can be called up on a moment's notice later on if and when you are needed to get back in the military. There are 50- and 60-year-old Israelis that have been reactivated in this thing we're serving in right now. So if having experience is the key to making the best military there is, Israel's IDF, they got to be pretty good, one would think. How good are they? All right, joining me now, Cameron Hamilton, former Navy SEAL who trained IDF members in Israel. Uh, Cameron, welcome to the show. We appreciate it very much. Uh, the reports are ground forces starting to mass into Gaza. Commandos are on the ground. Special forces, as you know, have been on the ground to help the precision bombing. Let me just ask you, I mean, this is not, I don't mean to demean this, but this is not Israel's first rodeo. They know how to go after Hamas and terrorists. They understand tunnels. I just wanted to get your thought as someone who's been engaged with them. I think there's a lot of hand-wringing, frankly. I know this is a bigger deal, don't get me wrong, uh, but the fact is, I think people should have a little more confidence in the Israeli Defense Forces. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely, Larry. Thank you for having me. Um, I would agree with that sentiment. The IDF are some of the most remarkable and brave soldiers that I ever had the opportunity to train with and to ultimately train on some of our advanced tactics from the war on terror. Their capabilities are far-ranging. They have infrastructure, resources that all integrate in a very cohesive fashion. So while this is a new conflict in the sense that Perhaps the bombings or the specific techniques employed by Hamas might be new or novel or the threats. Uh, but the overall mission itself is not something that's new to Israel, unfortunately. They're all too prepared, and I think that they're going to be very swift and effective with how they remediate this. I mean, I think that I know it was a surprise, and we can worry about intelligence um, breakdowns later on. But the fact of the matter is, I think that um, this will increase the determination, if you will, or the morale of the Israeli citizens and particularly their defense forces because they're furious at how these, you know, children were treated and grandmothers were treated and in general this uh, unexpected war. I mean, to me, um, it's, I'm not going to say that it's awakening a sleeping giant like America in World War II, but, uh, you know, it's a bit like that. Okay, it was a wake-up call, but now Israel's furious. I think that's an accurate statement. And based on the conversations that I've had with members of the IDF and former members of the IDF as well, that very much seems to be the reality on the ground. I think with conflicts like this, especially with the possibility of engaging in conflict and multi-front warfare, both in the north and the south, the resolve of the IDF and all the other supporting mechanisms that they're utilizing for national defense has really made some astonishing um, you know, successes here. So they've stood up an entire northern command as a deterrent for Hezbollah to enter the war. They believe it will be very effective. They've also set up a very robust southern command uh, component so that they're going to be able to go, you know, block by block, street by street in Gaza and clear. We're already hearing reports about commandos that are there currently engaging in both intelligence collecting as well as combat operations against or counterterrorism operations. So I agree with you. The, the feedback that I'm receiving overwhelmingly is that it is having a great unifying effect. We've also seen that in their government. 
the, uh, the Israeli government has unified under a coalition uh, government right now so as to ensure that their people have an intact and effective leadership. I mean, it, yeah, it's tough stuff. Um, Cameron, listen to what you, I'm sure you know General Jack Keane. Listen to what General Keane said on this show last night. Please take a listen. And Larry, I mean, we got to be upfront about what needs to be done here. We need to kill them. That's the only thing that stops these guys. They are absolutely committed to this barbarism. And we got to go in and kill them, just like we did with ISIS, just like we did with the Al-Qaeda. I mean, Cameron, you know, General Keene, tough old guy, a lot of experience. I think he laid out the mission. I mean, unfortunately, war is hell, but we shouldn't be wringing hands. We should be rallying behind the IDF. I mean, they're going to have to do what they're going to do. And there's going to be some collateral damage. But that was brought upon by Hamas. And I don't want to make any excuses for Hamas. I want to make uh, all the support I can for the IDF. Yeah, Larry, I completely agree with that statement. Uh, the nature of warfare is, is always a calamity in the sense that it takes a great toll on many. But again, Israel did not start this conflict, but they sure do have the resolve, I believe, to finish it. So they've declared officially war within their cabinet, and their ultimate goal and objective is the complete and utter elimination of Hamas. I think that's an effective strategy. And they also go through great lengths and strides so as to preserve human life. The benevolence of this people is remarkable. So they even subjugate some of their troops and personnel in situations that are highly risky, that are way beyond the acceptable level of risk that we would accept for American troops so as to minimize casualties against civilians. It's really just a remarkable and impossible job. Yes, sir. Cameron Hamilton, thanks for coming on. Hope to see you. Well, Donald Trump is back in the news. I know that probably doesn't surprise many people. You remember that uh, New York judge that has been so nasty? I don't know. Uh, that case is still going on. The Washington judge is in uh, front and center in the news this morning. A federal judge there has reinstated a gag order that she previously ordered on Trump in the DOJ's federal election case, accusing him of trying to overturn the results of the election. Who will forget her name ever? U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin. She initially approved Trump's request for an administrative stay Another term would be a pause on the gag order. It was requested by government prosecutor special counsel Jack Smith. The gag order stopped Trump's remarks that would target the prosecution and defense legal teams, the court staff, and even some potential witnesses. So Trump's lawyers, they filed a request with her to give them time to appeal her decision, and during that time, temporarily paused the gag order, which she agreed to. Well, now she's changed her mind. The government filed its opposition to that temporary lifting of the gag order, after which Trump had three days to file a response to the opposition, which he did on Saturday. So the judge weighed in. The gag order would not have done anything to prevent a national discussion of this issue during a campaign. Thus, the only thing the gag order would accomplish is to ensure that Trump could not respond to inappropriate prosecutorial or witness leaks. That's an obviously impermissible 
and wholly unconstitutional goal. That's Trump's attorneys arguing that. Well, of course, there's the rest of the story. So, with arguments from both sides now made, the judge, guess who she sided with? The prosecution, denying Trump's request to pause a gag order during the appeal. The ruling appeared in a docket entry on Sunday night, but the details of the ruling haven't been made public yet today. Trump responded to the judge's action in a late Sunday post on his social media platform, True Social, and he said that his First Amendment rights have been breached. The corrupt Biden administration just took away my First Amendment right to free speech, he wrote. Not constitutional. Now, something came as a big surprise to me and many other conservatives. The ACLU, that stands for American Civil Liberties Union, that's a nonprofit group that pretty much always sits on the side of the left in every legal argument that they get into. But they have come out, in this case, to advocate for what it believes are President Trump's First Amendment rights And that's coming in a rare statement of support. And they describe Judge Chutkin's order as vague and impermissibly broad in restricting the former president's free speech. Trump is also, by the way, subject to a gag order in the civil case in New York being pursued by Attorney General Letitia James. In recent submissions for this election case, The defense has added in its arguments that Trump was never charged with inciting violence on January 6th. They are seeking to strike prosecutors' public statements that have implied this as a given fact from the indictment. It's not. He wasn't even charged for that. Now, why wouldn't they charge him for that? You know why. There's no evidence to prove that he did. But they're not fighting a legal case. They're fighting a public case, and they're making sure that most people, most people are hearing what is being said by the left that is the law, they're calling it the law, like he um, incited violence, which he didn't, and they're hoping the public jumps on that and doesn't wait to find out who's innocent until proven guilty. Oh, they want to make Trump guilty about everything before they even start. Trump has pleaded not guilty to the charges that he plotted to unawfully interfere in the counting of votes and block the congressional certification of contested state votes on January 6th. And this, my friends, this whole case, it's not going to stop anytime soon. Trump's a, pair, a very powerful guy. And he's very outspoken. (laughs) I don't think anybody would disagree with me on that. And he's not going to take anything sitting down. Sometimes I disagree with things that he says the way he says them. But in this case, I'm 100% in with him for one reason and one reason only. There is no way this can be phrased to be anything but stopping Donald Trump's First Amendment rights. Think about the think about the context of what these charges are about. 
what this gag order and the presentation to get the gag order stated. We used to live in a nation where the First Amendment meant that anybody has a right to say anything if it doesn't directly hurt someone else, and it can't be abridged. Short version of that is anybody has the right to say something to anybody that anybody disagrees with. And it may not even be true, but you have the right to say it, speak it. That's one of the fundamental principles that made the United States different from all of the other countries in the world back in the 1600s, even before the Constitution was written. That's what this case is about. And it will eventually get to the U.S. Supreme Court, and it will be, as I just stated, First Amendment cases again and again and again have been adjudicated at the high court on that basis, and they know that. Jack Smith, this prosecutor, he knows that, but what he wants is for this gag order to stay in place so Trump will at least temporarily not be allowed to say the things his true feelings, even things that he would say that are facts that aren't necessarily facts, he won't be able to say them in penalty of being popped by Judge Chutkin, Chutkin, however she pronounces her name. You know, somebody we haven't heard much about of late, Kamala Harris, the vice president. Well, Kamala was out over the weekend. And as she is prone to do every time she gets in the public eye on a television camera doing an interview, she offered up a cringeworthy moment for the ages. Went over the weekend, she was speaking to a 60 Minutes reporter, Bill Whitaker. She proudly declared that President Biden, age 80, was, and I quote, very much alive. <laughs> like anybody is alleged he's dead. She said, Joe Biden is very much alive. And she was on 60 Minutes. So there are a lot of people watch Sunday 60 Minutes. When asked, would she happily step into the breach if Biden opted not to run for re-election next year? Harris, who's 59 years old, she awkwardly replied, quote, well, first of all, I'm not going to engage in that hypothetical because Joe Biden is very much alive and running for re-election. So there we are. So when the reporter, when he pressed, as any good reporter would, the former California senator, Harris, said that she didn't have time for parlor games. Quote, I hear from a lot of different people a lot of different things, but let me just tell you, I'm focused on the job. I truly am. Our democracy is on the line, Bill, and I frankly, in my head, do not have time for parlor games when we have a president who is running for re-election. That's it. So this exchange was followed up with an awkward silence between the VP and Whitaker. The reporter attempted to ask Harris about why the current administration is running neck and neck with ex-president Trump 
in the polling for 2024, despite the fact that former Apprentice host is facing 91 criminal counts across the country. I'm not a political pundit, she said. So I'm going to speak to that. I'm not going to speak to that. But what I will say is this. When the American people are able to take a close look at election time on their options, I think the choice is going to be clear. We're going to win. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But we will win. I have no doubt, she said. She also blamed the lack of media coverage of the administration's achievements as the reason for the low polling. What achievements? <laughs> I mean, Biden's out there telling everybody about Bidenomics. He went around the world telling everybody overseas about how great his economy is for all Americans. And any of us that sit and listen or watch or read anything about facts that illustrate and detail the dang issues that we're facing when we just go out and live our lives as compared to where we were four years ago? How can anybody say that Joe Biden's doing a good job, that Kamala Harris is doing a good job, that the Obama administration, well, you said Obama administration. No, the Obama administration is the Biden administration. How can anybody claim any victories? The vice president was bullish about why Biden's messaging wasn't resonating with voters. She had to blame somebody. She said, I look at it more as let's keep getting out there. And as with any election, we got to make our case to the American people. That's part of our responsibility. So honestly, what do they have that they can raise a banner and say, looky here what we did. Looky here. Other issues touched on by Harris, things like her plea for a reinstatement of the assault weapons ban following the massacre in Lewiston, Maine last week. Harris also called on Congress to invest in the root causes of migration when speaking about the crisis at the southern border, speaking about the current conflict in Israel. The VP was adamant that the U.S. would not be sending combat troops into the region. They're already there, Kamala. They just don't want us to know. They're in Ukraine, too. I can't even whisper like Joe does. She compared her relationship to the hugely successful relationship that President Barack Obama and Biden had between 08 and 2016. Biden is known to have said that he was regularly the last person left in the room with Obama. Now, what does what does that prove? That everybody was leaving. President Obama wanted everybody to go, and you wouldn't get up and leave. Do you have that relationship with Obama? Excuse me, with Biden? I do. I do, Kamala said. And I take that responsibility quite seriously. Can you imagine what a conversation between those two sitting at a table somewhere in the White House, can you imagine how empty that would have to be 
symbolism only, no substance. There is no substance to either one of those when it comes to leading this nation. A September poll conducted by Daily Mail found that Harris was viewed as the worst vice president in decades. Some 40% of respondents placed her ahead of Republicans Mike Pence and Dick Cheney as the worst recent holder of the office. When asked to pick a word to summarize the VP, respondents picked incompetent far ahead of complimentary words like smart or strong. And if that wasn't enough, almost half of the 1,000 people polled said Biden should swap out his running mate for 2024, including 27% of Democrats and 25% of blacks. This poll of 1,000 likely voters was conducted by JL Partners, carries a margin of error, 3.1 points. The results show Harris's torrid time as VP and the reservations of some senior Democrats who fear Biden's advanced age means that many voters will wonder whether his 58-year-old vice president would have to take over during a second term. Hey, first term ain't over yet. We've got more than a year to go. In the eyes of voters, if there's anyone more incompetent than President Biden, it's his vice president. That comes from James Johnson, co-founder of Republican Polling. Frankly, this is one of the most brutal word clouds we have ever run. I like that term, word clouds. From incompetent to worthless, the public have written off Kamala Harris. There looks to be little way for her to improve her standing with Americans. It's not just Republicans who think that either. Sentiments are the same among independents, and one in four black voters want Biden to choose someone else to be his running mate, as do a majority of 18 to 29-year-olds. Joe Biden's re-election platform is already under serious strain. Concerns about his age, Kamala Harris is pushing it to the breaking point. So these results will make difficult reading for the Biden-Harris campaign. I don't know how you can come out of that conversation with any honest, positive thing to say about what you're doing, especially in the eyes of those people who vote. When voters were asked for words to describe Kamala, the most common among all likely voters, two words, incompetent and idiot. How would you like to be known by those people as being one or the other or maybe both, incompetent and idiot? Although Republican hatred may have skewed the results a bit, even people describing themselves as independents offered hardly any encouragement. Words such as dumb, joke, unqualified, even robot dominated over terms of approval such as strong and cool. I don't know that cool is a good explanation of that. I just don't get it. Hey, listen. Still got more to come. There's a lot of big news happening all day long. I promise you that. But we've got more here over the next few minutes. Gosh, we're only 20 minutes shy of ending the show today. 
I've got a couple of things you need to hear. We'll get right to that. It's a lot to take in, but when you need a refresher, it's all here. 24-7, 365. Every podcast, every blog. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. You do your thing, and you do it well. Now, it's time to do it bigger. It's time for Shopify. Shopify makes it easy to set up your online store. Expand into new sales channels and bring your brand into the real world. Get everything you need to launch your business today with Shopify. Ladies, we ask your forgiveness. Please forgive our immaturity, our outbursts of tacky compliments. Forgive. Our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes. For insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist. And please, forgive us. Or never washing our hands. Ever! Schneider, the beer with the exact maturity of the man who's in the process. I can't leave this right here. In that poll, a recent poll found that at the beginning of Biden's term as president, 70% of young people, that's people under 30, said he was doing a good job. Now remember that number, 70%. People under 30 at the beginning said he was doing a good job. Now it's less than 50%. So Kamala was asked, why is that? What's going on? Now you you need to get you need to stop what you're doing and start paying attention to what she responded. I want to make sure you hear this. Wisdom. Wisdom. Quote, if you poll how young people feel about the climate and the warming of our planet, it polls as one of their top concerns, she said. When we talk about what we're doing with student loan debt, polls very high. The challenge that we have as an administration is we got to let people know who brung it to them. That's our challenge. But it's not that the work we are doing is not very, very popular with a lot of people, she continued. So in other words, she's saying without saying it, those people just don't know what they're saying. They're stupid. We're doing a great job. Oh, my gosh. So she mentioned at the top of this interview she was talking about climate. Oh, all these young people, they're into They say it's number one, which in many cases in the lives of many people, it is high. It is important. But what makes everything fall apart when you start talking about it is everything changes when it comes to climate change. It changes daily, weekly, monthly, annually. 
And it has been that way for long. Back in the 70s, the climate folks, they were telling us we're about to have another ice age. And it's going to happen in the next 10 years. Well, it obviously didn't happen. And so they flipped it. Oh, look at what's happening. It's warming. The planet is warming. We've got to be careful. We've got to make sure we're doing the right things and stop doing what you're doing now. Well, what things should we stop? Everything. You're entitled to breathe and drink, and that's it. And then, of course, when that failed to be a fact, those brain surgeons that were running that scam, they figured out a way to make it work on every level. We'll just call it climate change. Climate change. (laughs) And we're still after it. They're still saying the same thing. And, of course, climate change means our Earth temperature is warming and it's going to flood the planet. One of our buddies down at Sky News weighed in on that. Listen to this. You're going to love this. But first, just quickly, very important news that I guarantee you will not hear tonight on the ABC or on SBS or read in the Guardian Australia or, in fact, in any newspaper of the left. News that will be ignored because it doesn't fit the script. It doesn't fit the script endorsed by the United Nations that the planet is warming so dangerously that people are already dying and our civilization faces collapse. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? Now, how often have disaster junkies in the media predicted all kinds of climate catastrophes? Australia loses so much rainfall that agriculture in most urban centres become non-viable. Hurricanes strengthened to Category 6, Hurricane Katrina was Category 4, and pummeled tropical coastlines. For years you've been bombarded with that kind of trash, and so many people, scientists, journalists and Politicians, and Tim Flannery, have staked their reputation on this global warming scare. So much so that who of them would now dare admit they might have exaggerated? Climate change is the great moral challenge of our generation. Well, to the news today that doesn't fit this script. For more than 50 years, we've had satellites from America's National Oceanic and Atmospheric Organisation circling the Earth measuring the natural microwave thermal emissions from the oxygen in the air just above the Earth's surface. Complicated, but it directly correlates with temperature. Now, every month, the results are then worked out by scientists at the University of Alabama at Huntsville. And this year, they've been noticing a fall in the world's temperature. I've referred to it a few times already. And now, overnight, they've got the results for April Another fall, yet another fall. So the world's temperature is now 0.05 degrees below the average for the last decade of last century. So we have got cooler, not warmer, at least for now. And you have got to ask, how could that have caused all these alleged global warming disasters you keep hearing about? Now, let me be straight with you. There has still been a slight warming trend over the last 30 years. 
and the temperatures do go up and down depending on ocean patterns, so the next temperature change may be up again. But my main point is this. You are never told in other media outlets about good news like this. Evidence that the global warming scare may be wildly exaggerated and the world is not warming anywhere as fast as predicted. Oh, my gosh. You mean they grossly misrepresented the science that all those experts are telling us that every scientist agrees that the earth is getting hotter and hotter and before long our land will disappear and more and more of the world is going to be covered with water again. And of course they all then give us their magic fixes and every one of the magic fixes require trillions of dollars from taxpayers. I'll just put it to one quick little consensus. It's a scam. And every day, more and more people, the real scientists, are saying, look, y'all got to quit talking about this. Pollution control is one thing, but climate change and men being able to do the very thing you say needs to be done, it's impossible. Lies fit political purposes, and that is even worse than your kids lying to you or moms and dads lying to kids. Have you wondered how much of your federal tax dollars are being stolen by our government, used without having permission, and where those dollars are going? We, not we all, many of us feel like a lot of politicians who have access to make the decisions regarding the way our money is spent through misspending, through directoring funds going to this place or that place, pretty well feeling certain that some of that money, when it gets to where it's supposed to go, it's not all getting there. Let me give you one example that you haven't been told about where your money has been going. Boston Children's Hospital received a $1.4 million reimbursement by the state of Massachusetts for its gender transition services. $1.4 million from January of 2015 to May of 23. Think about that. It's been going on now there eight years. Boston Children's Hospital, which claims to have created the first pediatric and adolescent transgender health program in the country, was hit with heavy backlash back last year for performing gender transition surgeries on minors, including things like vaginoplasty, phalloplasty, chest reconstruction, and breast augmentation on kids, according to a since-deleted website. The Executive Office of Health and Human Services of Massachusetts said on July 25th that it paid the hospital over $1.4 million for gender transition services, 
which really means physician services, inpatient and outpatient, hospital services, surgical services, prescribed drugs, therapies, etc. And this happened. All of these procedures happened from January 1st, 2015 to May 1st, 2023. We're told the hospital performed 204 gender affirmation surgeries on minors from 2017 to 2020, the same time as that EOHS funding we just told you about. That's according to a study from the National Institutes of Health. The total included 65 chest surgeries with the youngest patient being 15 years old. Boston Children's Center for Gender Surgery webpage, which they have since removed, contained dozens of videos talking about gender dysphoria, transgender sex, top and bottom surgery, and even a how-to guide for talking to friends and family about the subject. The website stated the surgery is never the first step in gender transition and suggested that newer patients start with socially uh, transitioning and supplemental hormones. Patients as young as 15 could obtain breast or chest augmentation provided they have their parents' consent and a letter from a doctor or nurse practitioner stating you have persistent, well-documented gender dysphoria. Now, what 15-year-old kid has everything in their life altogether? I don't know of a single one. They're still trying to figure out who they are, let alone if they're male or female. And with all of the dysphoria out there that's being presented as being facts, how the heck are they going to make it? I don't know, but I just know this. There's a scripture in the Bible that says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Instead of selling everybody on how good and righteous and real transgender ideology is, it ain't science. Hey guys, that's a wrap today. Long ago And oh so far Before the second show Your guitar It sounds so sweet and clear But you're not really here It's just the radio Don't you remember you told me you loved me, baby? You said you'd be coming back this way again. 
I love you. 